what's going on everybody and welcome to the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host Mike, obviously. This is my 98th podcast episode, hopefully it won't be my last. Today we have Lindsay Rodriguez, currently a digital host and reporter, writer, producer, all that jazz, for the Hollywood Reporter News. Uh, you may know her from her time at MTV. She used to host TRL, Total Request Live, uh, with Damian Fahey, uh, back before it was canceled and then revived, sort of in that post-Carson Daly time. And she was awesome at that, did a whole bunch for MTV, and has ended up working a ton of different jobs since. And she's from Australia, so how cool is that? Uh, Lindsay and I, I'll talk about in a little bit how uh, we know each other and cross paths, but we're going to talk about all the stuff that she has to say, getting a job in the U.S. from a foreign country, working in entertainment now, and how that's changed a lot politically, news-wise, in the last 10 years, and kind of where she sees things going from now. Plus a lot of Australia talk, which is always pretty fun for me, and hopefully for you. Real quick, before Lindsay, though, I do want to uh, shout out my social media. I always got to get the shameless plugs in. So if you guys wouldn't mind, if you're listening for the first time, hit me up at Mike Janella on all social media platforms. I'm there. I love interacting with you guys, so let me know what you think. And then wherever you found this podcast, it would be amazing if you left a review, a rating, make them good. I'd appreciate it. And if you subscribed, that would be awesome as well as we get on that march to 100 episodes. All right, without further ado, no more shilling from me. Here she is, Lindsay Rodriguez. Hey, Lindsay, what's going on? Hey, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, we're getting close to 100 episodes here. So you're like a primetime uh, guest because you're up in the high 90s. So uh, congrats on making it this far. Thank you. Congrats on making nearly 100 episodes. Oh, that is you. no small undertaking. Yeah, I don't know if anyone listens, but hey, at least I keep putting them out there. So it's nice to get to uh, exactly. a nice round number. Uh, now, I wanted to get you on because, uh, Lindsay, we have... A, I think a lot of things in common, but also you've had such an interesting career. Now, if the internet's to be believed, we're both July babies. Is that right? That is. I'm July 23rd. When are you? July 2nd. So I think you're a Leo. I'm a Cancer, right? So that's different if you're into the star stuff, but we're at least in the same month. So that's something. We have also both done uh, hosting for The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, I know in the past, we've both been rejected for the same job. So that's fun. So you and I have that in common. And I also, right. I also love accents and you have one. So I think it's a good start to our show. Fantastic. And to be fair, I mean, that job that you and I got rejected from, it sounds like everyone that we met that day did. So I don't think All we right. should take it too personally. And if you say no to people like you and me, then I mean, what kind of company are you anyway? You don't really know. What oh, exactly. Your enterprise is sure to fail. <laughs> uh, tell me. Tell me about it. Um, All right, Well, I got a bunch of questions for you because you've had such a cool and interesting and uh, winding career that I want to learn more about. But I start the show the same way with every guest. We like to get off on the best foot possible. So I ask the same question of everybody. What's the best thing to happen to you in the past week? Oh, the best thing to happen to me in the past week. You know what? It, you know what it was. One of my friends recently had a baby. She's only a couple of weeks old, and we took her to the pub for the first time. <laughs> wow, getting out of the gate strong. Yeah, that was. And look, I'm Australian, so for us, we've got to start. You know, the kids young, and uh, yes, baby who uh, got very milk drunk. And made us all look very sober. Bye. <laughs> hey, I get uh, milk drunk myself sometimes too, and I'm in my 30s, so I totally uh, can empathize with the baby. But I do think that's really awesome that you just get the kid already acclimated as soon as possible. That's a nice Australian way of, uh, of coming into life. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well done. Awesome. Well, let's get down to uh, to business. Now, most people, Lindsay, may remember you from your MTV days, and we're going to talk about those in a second, uh, TRL and all the other shows you hosted for them, but give us a quick rundown of what's happened since and what you're up to these days. Sure. Oh, God. Okay, so the, all the MTV days feel like a gazillion years ago, but in reality, they were really only like 10 or 11 uh, years ago. But um, even before I came to America to do MTV's TRL, I was working for MTV Australia for about four years, hosting news for them, doing TRL for them. We had a, a local version of the flagship show. I did a travel show for MTV also, which was really great because it gave me the opportunity to really explore the back my, my own backyard, essentially. So I got to really get to know my weird and wonderful country that is Australia before I moved overseas, which isn't an opportunity that a lot of Aussies get. We are quite nomadic. So typically speaking, we'll p- pack up and, and go to Europe or America uh, before we've really had a chance to appreciate Australia for what it is. So forever grateful for that opportunity. Came to New York, did TRL, uh, went back to Australia for a little bit and did a bunch of different primetime shows across the health and lifestyle space. And then came back to America and resumed working in the entertainment space. So I've worked for a bunch of different companies like Pop Sugar and Access and Cosmo and Husay and Amazon. And uh, for the last two years, I've been the host, writer and producer of The Hollywood news um, and I mostly cover sort of politics and casting announcements and box office numbers and sort of legal cases and the big business of Hollywood. That's a lot. Uh, catch your breath now. I'll do a little <laughs> bit of talking so you can so you can uh, exhale a little bit. And that is true. I, I've traveled a lot. I've been uh, lucky enough to do that in my life. And literally everywhere I go, there's an Australian there, like checking in at the same hotel as me or at the same bar as me or something. And that's all you guys do. It's like you get out of high school and just start traveling, which I've always been pretty jealous of uh, as a people, but uh, good on you for checking out your backyard too. So uh, nicely done. I'm sure they yeah, appreciate thanks. that. Yeah. And it's, look, it's always great to travel on someone else's money. That's so the best that way to great. do it. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> so yeah. how does that happen though? Obviously traveling for fun is one thing, right? You can book a trip mm-hmm. and go anywhere, but to do it professionally, how did you make, uh, I guess the literal jump into hosting stuff uh, in the U S was there one big break? Were you reaching out to companies here while you were still back home? How did that work out? It was a complete fluke and probably that's one of my a good, favorite that's stories. That's always a good way to, to get a gig, right? A complete fluke. Yeah. Well, this is probably one of my favorite stories um, of my career because it really just proves that timing is everything and being in the right place at the right time and a little bit of luck is, is everything. So I'd been working for MTV Australia for about four years and I was coming over to the US to do a big backpacking vacation starting in LA, ending in New York with a bunch of places in between. And I had said to my publicist at MTV Australia – can you get me seats uh, for TRL New York? Because at that point, every country in the world had ceased to make TRL. I think maybe Italy was doing a version, but it had gone from almost every country having their own version of this flagship show to really just the States carrying on the torch that Carson Daly lit all those years before. And so I just really wanted to see what it was like to sit in that Times Square studio and to see how they operated the show that had been so iconic for so long. And the MTV publicist in America got back to us in Australia and said, well, actually, can she come and host an episode? I know that she's on vacation, but if you wouldn't mind working just for one day while she's here, it would be really great to get a female presence on the show because the host at the time, Damien Fahey, had been hosting on his own for about a year. 
and they had struggled to find a replacement for the girl that had hosted previously. So they they asked me to, yeah, as I said, like work on my vacation. And my response was something along the lines of, this isn't work. I would happily do it. And I'm thinking this would just look really good on my resume that I hosted one episode of TRL, uh, you know, US. And so I came over here and I did it. And after I did that one episode, I was approached by the head of casting who wanted to set up a meeting to discuss me moving here full time and taking on the job full time. So it was kind of like the realization of my 11 year old dream, which was to move to the Big Apple. And um, yeah, so that was probably in, I guess, August of 2007. And by end of October, beginning of November, that same year I was living here. Insane. Like that is a fluke. But I, I mean, that never happens to me. I never go on vacation and people are like, oh, here's a new dream job while you're here. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. I came back and my friends and, and colleagues were of the, this opinion. They, they would say to me, you know, most people go to New York and come back with an I Heart New York t-shirt, not their dream job. <laughs> yeah, you don't find that at the Port Authority gift shop uh, on your way out, like most people do. No, no, you do not. So I was really, really fortunate that, um, yeah, it was right place, right time. Had they have found someone to fill that position even a week before, uh, that I wouldn't have even had the chance to, you know, to host a one-off episode, let alone go and do yeah. that for the show's remaining 18 months. So very fortunate. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, and you turned it into gold from then on out, which is uh, awesome on you for not letting that opportunity uh, get by. So now that obviously you can't, like if other people have uh, that same aspiration and they want to know, hey, Lindsay, what's your advice if I live in a foreign country and I want to make it in the U.S., the biggest media market in the world? You can't just say, right, oh, I'll go on vacation and hope it all works out. But now in retrospect, is there any advice, stuff you wished you would have known or done differently if someone else is in uh, your shoes now? I think, and not to be political, but the time has just changed a lot in regards to being able to move freely between countries. So, you know, as much as it's wonderful to have the dream of wanting to go and work in the United States if you, if you live elsewhere – you know, there are things like visas and legal issues that have to take precedent yeah, over. Yeah, it's not just true. a matter of hopping on a train and, uh, sorry, hopping on a plane and, and arriving. And it's not, it's not like, you know, the Hollywood of old where you could just kind of show up on a whim and, um, and still be here 60 years later doing your thing. So um, I would say the most important thing is to have a really solid body of work in your home country, wherever that may be, so that you can apply for what's called the O-1 visa. And you need to have so much evidence to prove that uh, you know, that your skill set is something that's going to be utilized and is necessary for the survival of the American entertainment industry. And you have to fill out a whole bunch of mortifying That sounds forms. so ominous. <laughs> it's so ominous. And Jeez. it's also really embarrassing, particularly for someone, you know, for an Australian person, we're very much sort of taught growing up this thing called the tall poppy syndrome, where if you start to get a little bit above your station, people will come and shut you down almost immediately. We don't like to see people sort of celebrate their success too much. But when you're applying for an O1 visa, you have to have letters written by an attorney, which are then signed by your peers saying, she's just the best and she's so amazing. You're the tallest poppy of all. Her. That's what you have to become. Yeah, it's mortifying. And then you have to hand those letters to your friends and be like, look, you know, I know that this is like mostly crap, but uh, can you sign it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that would be the biggest. I was really lucky the first time around because I was given a job and all of those like all of those legalities were taken care of for me. The second time that I moved to the United States, I had to take care of all of that myself. So you need to budget for all of that kind of stuff. And you really need to make sure that when you submit that application, there's a very slim chance that it's going to be rejected because it's a lot of time time and effort and money to put into something 
to then have the the government come back and say, sorry, we're not, you know, taking any more O1 visa holders this year. So hone your craft, um, do everything you can to prove that you are a worthwhile addition to the industry here, whether you're moving to LA or to New York or to Miami or wherever it is, and um, and just like do your research and and budget, <laughs> just budget yeah. accordingly. Sounds daunting. I'm glad I was born here. Uh, after hearing all that you've gone through, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, so you get to MTV, it seems like the kind of network that once you're in, they just kind of move you everywhere and plug you into whatever they need you to host. Because I'm looking at your IMDb and all that the research about you and I mean all the different shows that you host in addition to TRL. What's the, what's the best MTV, the most MTV story you can give us from that time of your career? Was there ever like a crazy celebrity encounter or a wild filming thing? What's like the most MTV thing that you remember? Okay, <laughs> this is one of my favorites. We were doing a special with Diddy. I think at the time he was still P. Diddy, or maybe he was Puff Daddy. I honestly can't remember. He's had so many names. Who can keep track, so, right? You know, we were working with Sean. Let's just say that. There you we go. We were working with Sean. And um, it, was, it was a competition for young aspiring designers to create um, three pieces. I think it was like an athleisure piece, a couture piece, and a more sort of like casual everyday piece. Um, and they, it was kind of like a Diddy's Project Runway almost. They had a certain amount of time to complete these looks, and it all culminated in a live-to-tape special that we were doing where we had Flo Rida perform the opening number, I had to walk down this runway and, and then explain what we were there for and what was at stake. And the prize was an internship at um, at his his clothing label. And and then I had to introduce Diggy and he was going to come out and talk a little bit more about what this project meant to him and why he was excited about these three up-and-coming designers. And so we went through that whole rigmarole. Florida performs his song. I come down this long runway, give like a, you know, there's about five minutes worth of copy at the top of it where I'm explaining exactly what's about to happen and what the designers have been working on for the past month or two. I introduce Diddy. He comes out. I go to ask the first question and he stops. He stops everything. He stops the taping. He's like, everyone, like, I don't know what's going on here, but just stop. And we're all looking at him like, are you kidding? This is like, it's not live live, but it's meant to be live to tape. Like we're on a time budget. Like, come on. And he addresses the audience because we had a live studio audience. He addresses them and says, now, I don't know who you think I am. But I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm Diddy. And you guys need to stand up and cheer for me when I walk out. So oh, we're going to do wow. this whole thing <laughs> all over again. He said, I'm going to walk backstage. We're going to take this from the top. And when I walk out, you guys need to be up out of those chairs screaming for me because I'm fucking Diddy. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? I have to say all this copy again. We have to take it from the top because of your ego. And it was just one of those moments um, and I was so new to the United States at that point as well. I think this was only maybe the third or fourth thing outside of TRL that I had hosted um, for MTV and they allowed it. And I just sort of thought to myself, my God, in Australia, I don't think this would fly. No one would even dare to even suggest that they, it needed to be redone in order for people to stand and cheer in Australia. But here we are in America where celebrity is king. So yeah. we just got to go with it. I'm going to keep harping was... on your expression. This is the land of uh, people thinking they're the tallest poppies. So, yeah, that's a, I'm sure that was yeah. a nice little change of pace for you. That's that's a great – that's very Diddy. That was – yes, as I came to realize because he was um, – he would then be a very regular guest on TRL because that year um, we had like making the, the making the band specials and so we'd have Danny Kane and those kinds of people on the show and often he'd accompany them. And it, I sort of quickly realized like, oh, that's just him. Um, but it was very shocking to me when I when I first started to have that kind of behavior, not only 
to have someone who thought it was okay to act that way, but to have a whole room full of people that sort of, that enabled him Go to act that it, way. Right. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> well, you know what, Lindsay, we're going to have to stop this podcast because I want to start from the top and I want from you a standing ovation as I walk into my uh, bedroom closet slash recording studio here. So if that's okay with you. Uh, no, you know I, what I think for you, that's fair though. Yeah, it's my name on the show, right? I can do whatever I want. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not quite to the level of Diddy yet. I hope someday to be at least success-wise, but I, I promise I'll never do anything like that. So everyone that's listening uh, to yes. this, you can hold me to it. Um, I think you'd always be humble. Uh, I, I would try. I try to think so too. Uh, so let's flip the coin then. What was the, uh, what's the biggest misconception people might have had about your time there? Because everyone has the idea of what it's like working at MTV. Maybe it is stories like that Puff Daddy one, but what was the biggest thing that people maybe misunderstood about what it was like being at the network? I think what people don't recognize about live television in general is just how much hard work it is and how much brain power it takes and how exhausting it is. And the year that I was there, we were doing two shows a day. So we would pre-record Wednesday's show on Monday morning, then there'd be a little bit of a break and then we'd go live on Monday night and then we would rinse and repeat on Tuesday. So we would have a week's worth of shows, but only two of them were live live. And that was a a cost-cutting measure uh, by the time I came on board. So you're dealing with celebrity egos. You're dealing with a live studio audience of very excitable teenagers. You're dealing with very long hours. Um, You're dealing with, you know, this show that's been on the air for at this point almost 10 years that in a lot of ways is a very well-oiled machine but then in another set of ways is also trying desperately to adapt to stay relevant for as long as possible and we know that eventually it stopped being that and it went off the air Um, and so you have a crew of all these very talented but very strong-minded uh, capable individuals who think their idea is is the best and that they want things to be done their way. And it's just really like an exercise in psychology because you're trying to appease everyone while still keeping your own sanity. And I mean, it, it really is. And things are changing on the fly uh, because maybe, you know, you have two minutes allocated with a big celebrity who's coming on to, to promote their, their film or their new record. And maybe they get really passionate about one of your questions and so you start to run out of time and then every, the whole format of the show is changing on the fly. So you have interns and, and PAs scribbling things out on giant cue cards and you're trying to read it out the corner of your eye without looking like you're reading a card. And it really is just like the most intense brain exercise. Uh, but it's also like the most incredible training that a TV host can have because if you can survive in that arena, in that, in that live atmosphere where everything is changing and everything is crazy and you're trying to just keep everyone happy, then there's really not a whole lot, I believe, that you can't do after that. So I feel lucky that that was my training ground. But honestly, it would be exhausting. I would come home and I would just pass out <laughs> for, for hours on end. Just like my brain, like my head would feel heavy with information. My body would just be like exhausted from sort of like the adrenaline that goes through it when you're doing a live show like that. So um, I think people underestimate that because I do think that a good host makes it look super easy. Um, but it's so many moving parts and, and you're an integral part of that. And I think that's the best description of a good host. It's someone that makes it look easy. And I see so many people on Twitter that are always hating on, I don't know, like Ryan Seacrest, someone like that. It's like, oh, I could do that job. Like, no, you can't. He makes it look so simple because he's that good at what he does. And there's other number mm-hmm. of examples like that. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. So, so TRL, yeah, it gets, uh, it gets canceled. You end up going back home, which you alluded to. Um, yeah. I could see that being the kind of person that I am, at least. I've done all this. I've done my O one. I've done all this work. I've come to America. Now I have to go back home. I could see it either being very like refreshing and you need maybe that recharge after 
grinding yourself to the bone. Or I could also see it as maybe like a step back, like, oh no, I did all this work and now I have to come back to square one. How did you see it? How did you interpret that part of your life? And I was, yeah, I was really fortunate actually, because not only was I desperately homesick for that, um, for that time that I lived in New York, it took a lot more getting used to. I'd wanted to live in New York since I was 11 years old. And then maybe I built it up too much in my head because when I did live here, I found myself missing Australia so very much. Um, but I was really lucky that because of the success that I'd found in America, when I came home, I, I mean, I landed on, I think, probably like a, a Sunday night, and I think I started a new network job on the Monday. So there wasn't really very much downtime. And I think I'm I'm really, really fortunate that that was the case because if I had gotten back on a plane after spending a year and a half interviewing the world's biggest celebrities and getting to travel and going to amazing parties and doing all the wonderful things that I was so lucky to do as a very young girl and then came back and was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the days, it's like an empty stretch of time. I think that could have been really dangerous for someone like myself who likes to be busy and who does somewhat measure their sort of self-worth, which is really dangerous. But I do kind of measure my self-worth on like how busy my day is and what I have going on professionally. So um, I think it worked out really well that I was able to get off a plane and walk straight into a makeup chair essentially to just begin um, the next job and continued like that until I somehow something flipped in me and it was like, you know what, I spent all that time in New York missing Australia, but now I've been back in Australia for a little bit and I'm desperately missing New York and maybe I didn't give it enough of a shot. So I'm, I started thinking about moving back and it kind of became this fleeting thought in the back of my head to like a full-blown obsession until I just you know, despite all of my very sage advice at the beginning of this podcast about visas and legalities, I literally just sold everything I owned, my apartment, my car, most of my clothes, anything that was of value, hopped on a plane and came back here on, um, without a visa, without a job, without a plan, just this kind of burning desire to give it another shot uh, and a better one than I had the time before and this time to do it on my own. Uh, which I had to do because I didn't have the support of a network this time. I didn't have someone footing the bill for the very expensive expensive process that is getting a visa for the United States. Um, I had to navigate it all on my own, and I, I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, and you've found uh, plenty of work since, and I'm sure that it, you know success begets success, right? So I'm sure it's easier for you to find more work. And I've got a lot of stuff I still want to talk to you about, so I don't want to wrap up too abruptly, but I do want to then, I guess, take it to where you are now in Hollywood Reporter and you're doing more of the harder news kind of thing like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, how do you like that compared to the more kind of seemingly fun and fluffy uh, stuff of earlier in your career? And then uh, what's next? Like what's the dream job for you down the road? Which way? Because you've done a ah. lot of stuff. Like what's, what's the path you'd most like to go down? Sure. Okay. So I'll start with the, the first question of that, um, addressing the fact that, yes, these days I do seem to spend a lot of my time talking about creepy people in Hollywood yeah, and their what the industry's become, unfortunately. <laughs> slew of misdeeds. But I will say that as heavy and as, as depressing as it can get at times, um, and there are weeks when it really feels relentless last week, well, I don't know when this is going to air, but at the time of this recording, um, you know, last week was particularly relentless because it was just all R. Kelly and Michael Jackson and 
and just oh my god by the end of last week I was really just kind of like what am I doing I do I miss the days of just talking about like what are you wearing on the red carpet um but for the most part I will say that speaking about the things that I am lucky enough to not only like report on now but I also get to write these scripts I get to research them I get to produce them from start to finish so I really have ownership over them and for me it feels like a very natural evolution of my career and something that reflects where I'm at now, just from an age standpoint as well. Because in my 20s, talking about uh, more frivolous topics like celebrity relationships and fashion moments and all that kind of stuff felt more relevant because it's kind of what my friends and I were talking about in our own private lives when we go out for drinks or for dinner. As you get older, the the scope of topics that you cover change. And for me, I've been really lucky that my job has reflected that because I, and this is not to put down anyone who still does the kind of soft news or the fashion news or any of that kind of stuff, because there's definitely a need for that and a market for it. And it can't all be bummer news. Um, but for me, I, I feel like if I were covering those topics when all these other things are going on, it would be a little bit soul destroying. So while I never kind of set out to be someone who reported on big, intense legal cases and and huge cultural movements that include so many victims of so many horrendous misdeeds. I'm really glad that that's where I am now because it feels important and it feels intellectually stimulating. And it also feels like something that is going to give me more longevity in my career than if I'd stayed as someone who, um, who covered more sort of like pop culture and, and, um, and those kinds of topics. So it can, yeah, definitely weigh on my heart and on my mind at times, but um, I feel really, but it's, it's also been a wonderful opportunity to see the way that people will respond um, in, large, in large groups when, when their, their rights and their liberties are threatened. So as much as at times I've felt very sad at the world that we live in, I've also felt incredibly inspired by it as well. Yeah, and that's the best way to adapt to when the situations are like this is to pretty much do exactly what you've done and what you, what you said. Um, all right, well, Lindsay, you got to go in a couple minutes, so I want to run quickly through our, our lightning round uh, finishers. Uh, one is called Turn the Tables, where you can turn the tables on me and ask me any question you want. Uh, you don't have to, so would you like to take that opportunity, yes or no? Oh, sure. I'll, I'll ask you a question. All right, fire away then. This is uh, kind of what you do for a living, right? So you should be you should be yes. good at this. <laughs> okay. So, well, as as a younger host, um, what have been some of the hurdles that you found in a landscape that is largely dominated by Instagram influencers and YouTubers and people that don't have the uh, traditional hosting experience that you have? Uh, well, it's funny you say younger host. Uh, thank you so much for flattering me, but I'm like approaching my mid thirties now. And, uh, yeah, I feel, I don't feel young when I look at some of these influencers that you're talking about. Um, it's probably that I feel like, I don't know what your training was like school wise or anything like that. But, uh, for me, I was like at the very end, uh, shout out Syracuse university of learning uh, sort of the old ways of doing things. We were still editing linearly on VHS tapes and uh, digital stuff existed, but we were still taught to be news people like Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, like that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. then I start getting into the workforce and all of a sudden, anybody with a phone, a smartphone, uh, can just get on YouTube and become a millionaire with amazing followers and jobs and stuff. And I was like, what? This is not at all how I know what to do or how I was taught. Um, so that's been the biggest hurdle for me is kind of teaching myself how to uh, adapt more to the, uh, the current way that things work when I was so ingrained for years and years to do it an old fashioned way. So it's something that I either, you know, adapt or perish. So hopefully 
Mm -hmm. the former, not the latter. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and and so what's next? What's next for, for you? Have your podcast. I know that you do stuff for us, obviously, at The Hollywood Reporter uh, and at Billboard. Yeah. Are I, there outlets that you're that you're really hoping to work for? Do you want to get into the development side of things as well? Uh, I just want to I want to host some stuff that's many, as many people as possible can see. I actually have a, a big job announcement coming up, but I can't announce it yet. Uh, it'll be in a couple weeks, though. So listeners of the show, make sure you tick uh, or tune in on social media. I'll be announcing it soon, but Lindsay trying to get the scoop here. I can't be giving too much away. Uh, yeah, but no, I'd love to. Maybe you and I can host like uh, the Olympics someday or like an E red carpet show or something. I just would love to get to that kind of level where people all around the world are watching me for big events and hopefully with other fun people uh, like yourself. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That would, I mean, definitely not a sports-related thing because, I mean, you'd have to carry all the way there because I right, right, well, nothing. I'll do the heavy sports <laughs> lifting and you can do the more human interest side or the fun entertainment part of it. And that's a great tag team duo, I think. Sounds great. And let me uh, preemptively say congratulations on whatever your job announcement yeah, is. That thank you very much. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so, it is, it is uh, sports-related. Yeah. I'll tease that. And I'll let oh. everyone else be, uh, be nervous to find out what exactly it is. Uh, all right, quickly, Lindsay, uh, real fast. So you answer these as quickly as you want because I know you got to go, student. Thanks again for the time. Uh, it's of the course. fun five. These are five quick, fun questions designed for you and you alone. Uh, question one, who is your favorite ever TRL guest? Oh, my favorite of material guest was Snoop Dogg. I I've interviewed him on my show in the past, too. He is amazing. So much fun. He's uh, so fun. He's the best and so nice. Uh, question two. What's one thing America does better than Australia? <laughs> um, oh, God. You know, um, burgers that give you a heart attack after one bite. <laughs> Yep, that checks out. Sounds about right. Uh, I've got to be fair now and, and unbiased. So question three, what's one thing Australia does better than America? What have we not figured out as well yet? Healthcare and education. Oh, just those two things. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> just minor things. <laughs> yeah, little things. They'll be done by the end of the week. Uh, question four, if you could host your dream music show with any artist uh, as your co-host, who would you pick? Dave Grohl. Ooh, interesting. I was not expecting that, mm -hmm. but yeah, that guy, I'm sure, knows what he's talking about. And then, the nicest uh, guy in rock and roll. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that either, so good to know he's if I amazing. ever come across Dave. Uh, and then question five, uh, of all time, who's your favorite MTV personality? So someone that actually worked for the network, someone you may have admired or just loved or really gotten along with, who is it? That person is Damien Fahey. He was my co-host at MTV uh, on TRL for the time that I worked there and he's now a writer on Family Guy. Mm -hmm. He's brilliant. He is funny. He was always supportive. He never once made me feel like, what the hell are you doing here, kid? Um, this is the big leagues. He was just an absolute joy to work with and um, he really made my time at TRL way more sort of comfortable and special than it would have been had it been anyone else that I was working with. So definitely Damien Fahey. Well, there you go, kids. Sometimes you can meet your heroes and it works out just fine. Uh, Lindsay, let everyone know where they can find out more about you, social media, where they can see your work at Hollywood Reporter, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, probably Twitter is the best place. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, my handle on both of those is the same. It's Linz Rodriguez, L-Y-N-D-S-R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-S. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, I'm pretty bad at the whole social media thing, but I've been told <laughs> by the millennials in my office that I need to get better. So I'm trying. Yeah. Those millennials and the Gen Z now, we got to handle them too. We got to deal with those people. So it just never it's ends. It's a lot. I just want to take a nap. <laughs> yeah. It's all, just let us sleep. That's all we want to do. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, get back to work and uh, yeah, we'll be uh, talking soon. Thanks so much. 
Thanks so much, Mike. And congrats again on the new gig, whatever it is. Yeah, secret secrets. We must keep. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye. All right. Back here in the studio, Lindsay had to jet. She's, I mean, Hollywood news, right? The Hollywood reporter. That is stuff that's always breaking. So she didn't have too much time to chat, but I thought we got into so much cool stuff and she's such a nice person and so forthcoming. So I appreciate Lindsay taking the time to chat. I also thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. And once again, one last plug to hit me up at Mike Janella on any social media platforms. You can also go to MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of the show. A big thanks to Grapes for the outro music you're hearing right now. One more thanks to Lindsay for the time as a guest. And the biggest thanks of all to you for listening. I'll do even better next time. See ya!